Well, good morning. Great to be back with you guys. My name is Rob, and I've heard I missed some things the last two weeks. Um, over 40 people got dunked under the water, I heard, which is phenomenal. Um, I'll tell you all, yeah, that's worth clapping for. I had heard ahead of time Lloyd was going to be doing this, so when the Franklin services were over, uh, which I was, that's where I was two weeks ago teaching at Franklin, been there the last two weeks, I turned on my phone, and the Brentwood third service is supposed to be finished about the same time as the uh, Franklin second service, and it wasn't. In fact, I could tell they were just getting going, and there was no one that was yet baptized in the third service, but I saw all these people kind of lined up on the side of the stage, and Lloyd was all excited, you know, doing the Lloyd thing, and, and so I... <laughs> I kept that stream going as I drove home. I know I shouldn't admit that, but I, but I kind of did, right? I was, I was not a distracted driver, but I was listening. And I, I got home and I gathered my wife and my kids around the table and we were about to have a community group lunch. So our community group was all over there and we all gathered around the table and we began watching and we watched all the baptisms of the third service that kept going and kept going and kept going. And then last week we did that same service at the Franklin congregation. Some of them had heard about what was coming. Most of them hadn't. And I, I, did, the, I did the Lloyd thing. I said, look, water. You know, I did, I did my best Lloyd impersonation, invited everybody to be baptized. And um, wouldn't you know, 23 more people were baptized last week at Franklin. And uh, the stories have been phenomenal for me to hear. And so here we are again, and I, I feel like a dud showing up with eldership, part three. You know? <laughs> That's got to be the worst sermon title ever. I, I apologize for that. But it is important. It's very important. In fact, this is our third part of a three-part series on eldership. And you're actually going to get to experience something this morning that no one at fellowship has experienced for over 10 years. And that is this morning we are commissioning, we are appointing new elders to the board. There are five men who've been through a vetting process and we've told you about them. Uh, you've had a chance to interact with them. They were up on stage with me a, a few weeks ago and you had a chance to meet them as well. We've given you as a congregation an opportunity to ask questions about their character, to engage with them, to let us know anything that you might know that would keep them from meeting the qualifications of the elders. And through that process, God has seen fit to confirm their appointment. So this morning we're going to be inviting them formally onto the board. We're going to have a, a little bit of a, a pointing um, prayer that that will happen at, toward the end of the message or the end of the very service. In between now and then, I want to do a little bit of a sermon on eldering because there's one more part of this that we haven't had a chance to teach on that's very important. And I'll back up first of all and say eldership part one, Lloyd taught on January 28th and he walked through the idea from scripture of who is qualified to be an elder. And he pulled that straight from 1 Timothy 3 and the book of Titus. If you missed that that message, I can't encourage you strongly enough to go listen to it because you're in a church that is led by a team of elders. And it's important that you know why we lead that way. We believe that's how scripture calls us to structure the church. And you need to know a little something about the qualifications of these men. Then the week after that, which was Eldership part two, we introduced you to the men. You got a chance to hear their story, um, get to know them just a little bit. And then now today is the third and final part of this three part where we're actually going to install them. We need to answer this question this morning, what do elders do? What do elders do? So of course, again, we're gonna turn to our source of authority, the Bible, open, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter five. That's the text that we're gonna be in. Now, to catch you up, if you missed 
part one of eldership, I want to read to you something that Lloyd wrote that was just the summary of the whole process of elder leadership. This is what Lloyd wrote as a summary of that text. God's invitation to trust his leadership through a plurality of elders whose character is proven is his gift to ensure that their leadership is a reflection of his. So the idea here is we want leadership over Fellowship Bible Church to be as closely mirroring or closely aligned to the leadership of Christ over his church as we possibly can have. Will it ever be perfect? No. We are a group of fallen individuals that gather week in, week out to worship a perfect God. We are not perfect ourselves. But through the plurality of leaders called elders in scripture, we are able as best as we can, as best as we know how, to follow God's leadership in the leadership of our church. And so that's the kind of men that we've been working through, selecting, getting to know. I couldn't be more excited about the men that are coming onto the board. You're going to have a chance to see them again, their spouses as well. You're also going to have a chance to see all of our current elders that have already been serving two of whom are rolling off the board into an inactive status. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that toward the end of the message. But let's dive into 1 Peter 5. This is gonna answer the question, what do elders do? Now, we always start with context. So what's happening when Peter wrote the epistle under his name? Epistle just simply means letter. He wrote to 1 Peter and 2 Peter. He wrote it to the church scattered about at this point in time. Why were they scattered? Because of the persecution. We've been talking about that in our study of Acts. Now, 1 Peter was written roughly around A.D. 60. So if you do the math, that's 25 to 30 years after the church began, which has been our timeline in Acts. So fast forward 30 years. Peter's probably in his 50s or maybe his 60s at this point in time. Um, Peter's not a young man anymore. In fact, for that time frame, Peter's getting older. Peter is himself now an elder, both in terms of the office, but also just in terms of where he is in his stage of life. And he writes a letter to encourage Christians under suffering, under persecution, to keep their trust in God alone. He gets toward the end of that letter, and we get some specific words to elders. So the text that I'm going to preach this morning is for the elders among us, literally the men who have been called to lead. It's also for you if you're here this morning as part of this body. Because you need to know what is it that God has called your elders to do and what does that have to do with you? In fact, there are some words in this passage that are specifically for all of us in this room, whether we're eldering or whether we're not eldering. There's also words in this passage that apply to anybody who's leading people in any context. And so we'll talk about that and apply it to all of us this morning as well. So let's just jump right in. First Peter chapter five. I'm gonna read our passage straight through, just seven verses in this text. And then we'll go back and we'll unpack it verse by verse uh, expositionally. So let's begin in verse one. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, 
that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Amen. Now, I can't think of a more clear way that Peter could answer the question, what do elders do? Elders shepherd. Elders shepherd. Right there in verse 2. Elders shepherd the flock. It's a great big imperative verb. Right? That means it's a command. It's the command in this passage. Peter is speaking to the elders scattered in all these local assemblies all around Asia and all around the known world at the time. And he's saying, if anyone among you is an elder, shepherd, shepherd the flock, shepherd. Now, in 2018, shepherd the flock doesn't have the same richness of context that it had in AD 60. All right. In fact, I don't know if any of you have ever met a real shepherd. I never have. Now, I've seen them out of the windows of the tour bus as I'm driving around the, the Israeli countryside. In fact, the first time I, I went to Israel, my wife was with me, and we're just riding on this you know, comfortable air-conditioned tour bus, and, and all of a sudden, she whips out the camera and starts going crazy, and I'm like, what do you see? You know, I thought maybe it was some you know, monument of some kind or maybe like some holy shrine or whatever, and she's like, it's a shepherd. <laughs> we got so excited to see a shepherd because we don't think about this. You hear it all about scripture, but we don't have this in our context. I want you to think of it this way, though. If you have responsibility to care for any person or people, a child, an elderly parent, a grandchild, a group of students, I was just over in the learning center as the service started, just walking around in some of our classrooms, thanking the ones that are over there right now with some of your kids. They're shepherds. Parents, you're shepherds. If you're a boss of an organization, you're a shepherd. If you have people that report to you, if you have aging parents or grandparents, a shepherd is anyone that has responsibility for caring for another group. Now, in the context of the first century, it was sheep that they're caring for. And so you can read all these books on shepherding and sheep and all these other things. But at the end of the day, what are shepherds doing? They're making for the sheep making sure the sheep are well cared for, that they're fed, that they're guarded, that they're protected. You might think of it this way. Shepherding is trading in your own priority of care for yourself for the priority of care for someone else. By definition, shepherding takes some unselfishness, which is something that comes very difficult to all of us. Right? Me first and foremost, right? We live in a what's in it for me context. And we are all selfish in our sinful nature. And yet, Peter would call out, you have the spirit of God in you that will allow you to step outside of your selfish uh, range, your selfish mode, and operate differently. He's calling elders first and foremost to be shepherds. Um, here's maybe a definition of shepherding that's broad enough for all of us to get around, whatever the context is that you're living in. Shepherding is caring for a person or group of people in such a way that allows them to flourish. Parents, isn't that your hope for your kids? Man, isn't that why you drive them all these baseball practices and violin lessons and you know plays and drums? You want them to flourish. Isn't that why, parents, we discipline our kids? We want them to flourish. 
teachers, educators, responsible for the care of these children, learning center volunteers. You want these kids to flourish. You want them to grow in their mind, grow in their body. You want them to flourish. You're actually shepherding. Now, here's why I'm camping out on this. I think the concept of shepherding taps into something deep within us because I think it's core to how God wired us to be men and women with the image of God implanted on us. Because who is the chief shepherd? As Peter reminds us, it's Christ, right? It's God himself. And we are sort of under shepherds underneath that chief shepherd. So this is what we do. And let me just speak directly to the elders among us, as particularly the, the five of us that are being installed. And, and yes, I'm certainly preaching to myself as, as one of the five that's being installed at this point in time. Elders, we shepherd people, not an institution. We shepherd people, not an institution. You can't shepherd a thing. You shepherd a person. You shepherd a group of people. So yes, there are things that elders do that feel very much organizational leadership, right? They've got to make sure budgets are met. And they've got to hold you know, staff accountable to the way they spend the money, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it's a group of people that God is calling us to shepherd, not an organization. And that same, that's true with you moms and dads in your families, I would even say supervisors and managers and bosses and business owners in the room, you're actually called responsible for people more than you are an institution. So we are shepherds. We shepherd them, not it. That's the call of God on our lives. Now, I've got to say one more thing about shepherding. Peter could have used a lot of other analogies. He could have talked about governing. He could have, you know, maybe use the analogy of a Roman soldier that's leading well. He chose this one. Why did he choose this one? Do you all remember after Peter had betrayed Christ or he, he denied that he even knew Jesus and you know, cursed you know, Jesus' name up and down? And, and after Jesus died and was resurrected, there was this tension in Peter's heart with his savior because he felt the weight of the guilt of denying that he even knew Jesus. And there's this beautiful scene in John chapter 21 where Jesus restores Peter so that Peter can be healed of his guilt and that he can be about the work that God would call him to. And so I'd invite you, if you have your Bible open, just move to the left a handful of pages over to John chapter 21. I wanna read to you from John chapter 21. This is how Jesus restored Peter into ministry. And I think you're gonna see as I read this why shepherding was so near and dear to Peter's heart. John chapter 21, I'll begin in verse 15 and, and we'll read through verse 18. So when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now this is on the other side of the resurrection and this is the first time that Peter had encountered Jesus since he died and rose again. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. By the way, in the Greek, that's the exact same phrase that Peter uses in 1 Peter 5, shepherd the flock, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. 
Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, in these strange, interesting, and yet somehow beautiful words, Peter is res- or Jesus is restoring Peter. How is he restoring him? He's calling out his love and then putting it into action. It's like, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. You know I love you. Okay, take that love for me and apply it to my people. You see, eldering became Peter's identity. It's the thing that 30 years later, Peter most associates himself with. Did you notice in verse one when I read it, that's how Peter identifies himself. I exhort the elders as your fellow elder. Now, Peter was more than just an elder. He was an apostle, but he doesn't go there. He first and foremost identifies himself as an elder, as a shepherd. Why? That's what Jesus had called him to. Shepherd my people, Jesus says. And so elders out there, and I would apply this to any of us in leadership positions who are caring for the souls of children or grandchildren or even parents as they age. Elders, leaders, as you love the people of Christ, you love Christ himself. That's the principle. As you love the people of Christ, you love Christ himself. That's what a shepherd does. That's what a shepherd does. In fact, I would even encourage all of us as we think about how do we lead people, we find our identity in being a means to an end rather than an end itself. Our identity, our joy, our happiness, our hope is wrapped up in the flourishing of someone else because that's the way that we glorify God. That's the way that we love Jesus by loving other people. Peter got this. And so now he's transferring it to these other people later in his life. All right, let's jump into the next part of the text for the sake of time. There are three modifiers to the overall command to shepherd the flock. Uh, And I'll just read through them and then we'll talk about what they mean. In the the second half of verse two, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge but proving to be examples to the flock. Now, all three of these modifying phrases under the primary command, shepherd the flock, all three of them talk about how elders should handle power. Now, this is very important because power can be intoxicating, right? In any context, any of you who lead organizations, any of you who own businesses, even any of you who are part of leadership of a family, you realize it can be all too easy just to, Put your foot down and say, you do it that way, son, because I say you do it that way and never challenge my authority. Right? There's something in us that kind of can rise up and say, I'm in charge. I'm in control. Peter's saying elders are to never, never push that button. All three of these modifiers get at how you handle power. And isn't it interesting, Jesus spent so much time talking about how you deal with power. In fact, there's this One instance I was thinking about this week where Jesus is walking along with his disciples and two of them were having an argument about who should be in control once Jesus is on the throne. 
So the, the two brothers, right, sons of Zebedee, they're arguing. They're saying, well, and Jesus, how about if you let me sit on your right and my brother sit on your left as you rule? Now, what was that other than a power play? They're trying to set themselves up and be at the front of the line for whatever glory were to come through this kingdom that Jesus was going to be ushering in. Jesus has harsh words to say to these men. In fact, he, he, he gathers all his disciples around. This is, this is back in, uh, in uh, Mark chapter 10. I want to read to you what Jesus says in light of this argument over who's going to have the most power. Calling them, all the disciples, to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. So he's saying that's normal. Right? That's normal. That, that's, what, that's how the world works. Great men exercise authority over them, but it is not this way among you. For whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. And, and listen, this is the kicker. Jesus is going to bring him own, his own self into this as the sovereign over the universe. Jesus says, even me, the son of man, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. There's something radical happening here. This is the moment in time where Jesus introduces a whole new way to lead. Jesus turns leadership on its head in this passage. So today in 2018, you can go to Barnes & Noble and you can pick up probably 15 books right now on servant leadership. They all originated with Jesus Christ. Literally, literally. Every empire prior to that, think about this, all had a view of power of might is right, top down. If you've got the army and you've got the weapons, you take control. You rule. You exert your will through the strength of your power. Jesus says, it shall not be so with you. And so the disciples who followed Jesus' example, they'd never led through power. They always led through service. What's the result of that? Within 300 years, Christianity becomes more powerful than the Roman Empire. Historical fact. Like literally, the world begins to turn upside down. Fast forward even longer, eventually Christianity has become the most influential cultural force in the history of earth. And most secular historians would, would say that same thing. That's the influence that Christianity has. Why? Because it's never been power-based. Now, I shouldn't say it's never been power-based because it has been twisted frequently to be power-based. And every time it is, it ends in disaster. Think about the time through Christian history when people rose up and said, we're going to exert our power to try to advance the kingdom of God. Disaster every single time. It was never a step forward. It was always a step backward because that's how, never how Jesus did it. Never how Jesus did it. Now, elders, leaders, shepherds, principle number two, you only are truly leading when you're serving. There is no other way to lead the church. We never lead with power. We must never. We serve. We are under shepherds. We get the muck on our hands. We brush out the thistles from the wool of the sheep. We apply the ointment to the wounds. We get our hands dirty. We are slaves even. Jesus would say. Now, with that word of encouragement, 
Peter is going to come right back around in the next verse and he's going to say, it's worth it. It's worth it to be a servant. It's worth it to, to be a slave of the church. Let me tell you why. Verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, elders, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, first of all, don't miss the idea that Peter's saying, there's a chief shepherd. We all shepherd underneath the chief shepherd. It's Christ that's in charge of his church. Not a man, not a group of men, not a group of leaders. Number two, there's this idea of some kind of reward, some kind of recognition, the, the crown of glory. I, I don't want you to think about this as a literal crown. In fact, I did some study on this this week, and there's a lot of crowns mentioned in the New Testament. They're never described as crowns of gold or silver or precious jewels. They're always described with metaphorical language. So I, I think what this is representing here is not a literal crown, but there's some kind of honor that's going to be there for elders who serve as Jesus served. Now, I want to take this one other step further, here are some of the crowns that are mentioned in the New Testament. In 2 Timothy 4, 8, there's a crown of righteousness that's available to all through Christ. James 1, 12 and Revelation 2, 10, the crown of life that everyone who is a believer in Jesus will receive. And then a crown of joy in Philippians, which, man, these are things that we want. Righteousness, life, joy. This is the only one that's the crown of glory. Isn't that interesting? Now, I want to be very clear on something. Glory is always meant to terminate in the only one who is worthy of it. And there is only one worthy of glory. So what will it look like for us who are elders, leaders of the church, to someday receive some kind of crown of glory? I'm thinking about it this way. This is some kind of gift, whether it's literal or, or some kind of representation of something, that we elders will then be able to give back to the only one worthy of glory. Like we'll put it at his feet. Now, elders, I don't know about you, that gets me excited, right? It gets me excited that there's gonna be some kind of gift that we're gonna have that we're gonna be able to give to Jesus to enhance his glory. Like that'll get me out of bed in the, mor in the morning. You see what I mean? You know, I mean, picture being a little kid and you, you love your parents and you're like, man, I wish I could give something to my mom or my dad for their birthday or Christmas, but I don't have any money. What do I give them? Well, I'm gonna write some art or I'm gonna give them a hug. Those are wonderful things, right? This is that. This is us getting a gift somehow as under shepherds that then we're gonna be able to lay down at the feet to give glory to Christ. That's beautiful. That is worth being a slave, being a servant for with our blood, with our sweat, with our tears as we serve the body of Christ to give glory to the one to whom it is due. Now, let's keep moving through the text. Verse five, younger men likewise, be subject to your elders. Let me pause right there. It's easy just to think of, okay, these are like the teenagers. These are the men in their 20s. It has a broader context than that. Peter's actually now talking about all younger people in the congregation and not just literally younger, but spiritually younger. So he's shifting his directives from the elders to those that are under the leadership of the elders. That's what's going on. So there's a sense that this applies to the whole congregation. Be subject to your elders. Now, I don't like to be subject to anybody. You know, you don't either. <laughs> None of us do. Like, it's just hardwired, you know, in us. It's like, I, I shared this with the other congregation. And I said I wasn't going to, but I'm, I'm going to. Um, you know, I, I've gotten pulled over a few times, you know. Uh, not often, but it's happened. 
And when those flashing blue lights come behind you, I feel two emotions. Number one, shame. Even if I don't know what I did, it's like shame. But then very quickly, it's anger. Like I'm bristling. I'm like, I had a reason or I I wasn't even paying attention. So you can't put that on me or, you know, whatever it is. And so the officer comes up and you're kind of, you're trying to control these emotions of shame and the anger and stuff. We bristle when we're under authority. Now, what Peter is saying here is he's saying, submit to authority and don't get the wrong idea about that. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're some peon under a king. You know, that's not the image of the shepherd and the sheep. You're not being subject to a king here other than God himself. So what does it look like to submit to the authority of the elders? Well, think about it this way. Think about becoming someone who willingly places yourself under the care of your shepherds. Willingly placing yourself under the care of your shepherds. It means you don't need to be overly obstinate or or stubborn or resistant to leadership. Um, I've been thinking of it this way. What would it look like for you as part of the body of Christ to make your needs known, to help the shepherds care better for you? That means share your prayer requests. That means share your feedback. These men aren't perfect. We're not perfect. Help us serve better. Be an encourager doesn't mean be silent. doesn't mean something decided that you have questions about that you don't raise your voice. Raise your voice, but do it for the place of helping these men lead better, you see. Be subject to your elders. Be someone who willingly places yourself under the care of the shepherd. While you're doing that, you're actually placing yourself under the care of the true shepherd. That's what Peter's going for here. And then the second half of verse five, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And then he's gonna quote an Old Testament a passage, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love the way Peter pictures humility like a comfortable suit of work clothes that you put on as you go about leading elders and congregation as you go about being led. Put on humility, put on humility. I can't think of anything more important for an elder team to function well together, men. And congregation, I want you to know this is a group of humble men, resistant to recognition. The prayer times we have together, you would be blessed by because these are humble men. Humility on an elder team, just like humility on a family and humility in a company and humility in any organization is critical for the team to function. I've been thinking about it this way. Humility is, is almost like the lubricating oil in the machinery so that when the parts rub against each other, they don't destroy each other. And rub up against each other, they do. That's how the machine works. Humility is necessary. And it's necessary from us as elders to you, our congregation, and it's necessary from you, the congregation, to your elders. Peter is intentionally addressing everyone. All of you put on humility. Humility. Now, when you hear that word, don't go to sort of like this false humility of like, woe is me, you know, I'm an ant, you know, that kind of thing. That's actually not really humility. Humility is not thinking of yourself less than you are. Humility is thinking of yourself rightly. 
So here's a definition of humility I like. There's a lot of good ones out there, but humility is a proper understanding of who I am in relationship to God and others. A proper understanding of who I am, first in relationship to God. Now think about yourself in relationship to God. That'll humble you very quickly, will it not? And in relationship to others. What is my role supposed to be with fellow people that I serve with? I'm their servant. I'm their servant. I put on a robe of humility and get out my towel and wash their feet, you see. Why? Because of my relationship to God. I am underneath the authority of God and I am lifted up by God because I'm one of his children. You see, humility carries with it not just a a lowering but also an exaltation. That's what Peter's about to talk about in the next verse. Let's take a look at it. Verse six, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Exaltation always goes from God to us. We don't exalt ourselves. Our role is to serve humbly in both sides of the leadership equation and God will exalt us at the proper time. Verse seven, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This passage ends so appropriately. It's a reminder that there is a chief shepherd who cares, who loves who's already proven how sacrificial his service would be to his church. Elder candidates, let me speak to you one last time with this charge. It is a terrifying thing to lead Christ's church. So cast all that anxiety on Christ. Put it on him. The worry of, are you gonna have enough, elder? Are you going to make right decisions all the time? No, you won't, by the way. Are you going to always care for the sheep? Are you never going to have any challenges? Are Are you going to be the elder that God has called you to be? Take all that anxiety, cast it on Christ. Why? Because he cares for you and he's strong and he can handle it. And let me address everybody in this room. Fellowship Bible Church. It is a terrifying thing to be led by fragile, sinful men, is it not? Cast your anxiety on him because he cares and he's strong. He says, put it on me. Take all that worry, all that concern. Is your church gonna be led well? Are you gonna be cared for? Is there gonna be a pastor there when you need him most? Are they gonna know? Are they gonna see? Are they gonna care? Take all that anxiety, put it on Christ. Because he cares. He loves. Your elder team is accountable ultimately to him. Christ is the chief shepherd. Because of that, we have hope in all the frailty of our leadership that he is in charge, that he is leading us, and he cares for us. Now, With that note of hope, I would like to invite all of our elders and their wives to come up on stage. Not the new candidates yet, but our current elder team. If you would go ahead and come up on stage. And as they come up, I want to read to you their names so you can know them. Bob Elrod will be coming up with his wife, Mariah. Meredith Kinder, his wife, Connie. Hunter Murray and his wife, Kristen. Barry McCall with his wife, Melissa, Richard Scott with Kari, and Tony Wood 
with Terry. Now, there are two elders that aren't able to be here today. Um, Lloyd is on our elder team. Lloyd's teaching at the Franklin campus, and he would love to be here, but he had something else to do this morning. And Kevin Verdon, Kevin is another one of our, our lay elders. He is an elder at the Franklin campus. He and his wife, Carol, are in Arizona for his father's 80th birthday. So we thought, all right, I guess that's a pretty good excuse not to be here this morning. All the rest of your elders are here, and they're represented here on this stage. Um, some of these men you've never seen before, you've never met before. And by the way, we have heard your feedback that you want to know these elders more. You want to see them more visibly, and we are going to be addressing that. And this is one way we're going to do that, but there's a number of other ways as well. Now, I, I want to call attention to two, and they didn't want me to call attention to them, but I wanted to, and I think it's important and, and appropriate that we recognize their service. Uh, Barry McCall and Meredith Kinder are stepping off the board to an inactive status in this season. Now, we're going to give all the rest of them a break as well over the next year and a half. We'll be rotating them off two or three at a time as more elders come on. But for this first season, Barry and Meredith are stepping off. So they're both there at the end. Meredith is there at the far end and, uh, and Barry as well. And these men have both been serving for 14 or more years at Fellowship. In fact, I asked Meredith earlier how long it had been. You can clap for that. And, uh, and Meredith said, I, I lost track. It's just been a long time. You know, you go for 14, 15 years, it's been a, a long time. And, and here's the thing, and, and any of you know this, all of you that are married, it is not just the husband that's been sacrificing and serving and pouring out. These wives, these women, all of them across the stage, but we want to particularly recognize uh, today, Melissa and Connie, you all have given yourselves as well to this church, and you are due our honor. Thank you. Um, a quick note before you even ask, Meredith is very much still on our staff, will continue very much on our staff as our pastor of counseling. He's not going anywhere. He just will no longer have the eldering as part of his role here at Fellowship. Uh, men, we've got a, a small gift for you. Actually, it's for you and your wives as well. Joe's got that. He's going to bring that out. You can act surprised again because you saw it the first <laughs> service. Uh, this is a, a watercolor that we had commissioned of our learning center here just to represent the life that God has brought about at this church during your service. And we are so grateful for you all once again. So thank you very much. Amen. All right. Now it's time that we're going to commission and pray for these new elders. So if you all would come up, as I, I'll call your name as well, Rob Howard with his wife, Kirsten, Larry Kayser with his wife, Ann, Mike Vogt with Lynn, Chris White with Kaiza, and I have my wife, Jody that's here with me as well. So the five of us are now being installed, are now being appointed to join the rest of these men in service and uh, Hunter Murray, who's been our, uh, on our elder board for quite a long time, is going to lead this prayer, lead this moment. Hunter is stepping into a new role as well as the chairman of the elder board. And that's an 18-month role that he'll be taking on, and then he'll be handing that off to someone else. So Hunter, wherever you are, there you are. Thanks for leading us. This is an exciting day. It's been a, a day that's a long time coming, and we're very excited about these men and their wives joining us and serving this body. Would uh, you join me in a commissioning prayer?
Father, you are enthroned in heaven above the cherubim. You are God alone. You're the maker of heaven and earth. Thank you for your love and your grace towards us in Jesus who lived and died and rose again that we would have life and hope and purpose. And thank you for the word of God that shapes and transforms our lives through everlasting truth and love. Thank you for the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to this body of believers so that we may each serve you and serve one another. Today, we thank you for these men and uh, your love and grace towards them and the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. You're calling upon them to serve this body of believers. Thank you for their wives who will support them as they serve in encouraging and difficult seasons. As they take up this additional role of leading your people in the office of elder, we pray that your Holy Spirit would give them the wisdom uh, and the knowledge to shepherd this flock. We pray that you'd equip and empower them to protect and serve this body of believers. May they not neglect their worship and sincerity of heart, and may they know and handle with skill your living word and communicate it with compassion and authority. And may they have a sensitivity to your leading and to the needs of the people. May they have a humble attitude as a true servant of God, and may they fear you rather than men. Lord, we need you every moment. You are the chief shepherd, and we as elders bow our knees to you alone. We pray that you'd give us your wisdom and strength to serve your bride, the church, for your great glory. Amen. Right now we're going to have the elders uh, take their preordained places on the floor, along with their wives and families. And as they do that, what we're going to do next is uh, we're going to gather around them. And I know it's going to be a little bit of a logistical challenge, but uh, as the body of Christ, um, what we're wanting to do is symbolize what is true. And uh, we are knit together through the Spirit under the authority and lordship of Christ, led by a plurality of elders, um, yet we're all one body. And so what we're going to do now is uh, you can go ahead and gather around them, those of you can get there. Take a moment to do that. So what we're doing now is this is symbolically representing what is true. That we are all one body in Christ. As you gather together, uh, Maris and I thought we would sing a duet for you guys. As you... No, we're really just going to pray. So uh, I'm going to pray, and when I'm done praying, then we're dismissed. Lord Jesus, as the, uh, the chief shepherd of our soul, we pray and ask of you for these men that are stepping into this role and those that are going to stay on to lead us. Jesus, would you empower them through your Holy Spirit to be on the alert as shepherds, to be on guard as shepherds, Lord, to lead and protect this body. And I pray for us as the flock that we would abide in you and that you would abide in us because you said in, it's in that way that we can produce and bear much fruit. And apart from that, we can do nothing. So strengthen us as a body, Lord Jesus, to do that. 
ask all of this for your incredible glory.